Welcome to A Glint of Mischief. I am your reader and host, Judah Amy. This week is going to be a little different than most weeks. We recently had a short story contest. Winner getting three free books of their choice, as well as a winning story getting a free slot on the podcast. I have to say, I was not expecting judging to be as difficult as it turned out to be. It took the crew here at the podcast a full week longer than expected to go back and forth and narrow it down to just one winner. But eventually we did, and boy let me tell you, it was a close call at the finish line. Now, without further ado, it is my pleasure to announce the winner of the Glint of Mischief Spring Short Story Competition is Anna Bowman. Now, let's get to the reason we're all here. Yes? A freshly picked orchid should not have been clutched in the boy's hand as he sprang from bed. Dampness from dew-soaked grass on his bare feet caused him to slip on the wood floor as he hurried from the room. Morning sun streamed in from the kitchen window, highlighting his small, wet footprints. This is for you, Mama. He dropped the flower on the counter where his mother sat, conjuring a mountain from the paper with her pencil. She looked up from her sketchbook as he dropped the half-crushed cerulean orchid, her breath visibly catching. Oh. Her honey-colored eyes widened as she twirled the green stem in her fingers. It's lovely. She exchanged a fearful glance with the boy's father. Where did you find this? She was right to wonder. The only flowers within a hundred miles of the city stone cipher were blooms in the desert cacti. Orchids like this one grew far north, where the desert faded into the green plains dotted with mountains. Cities rested on plateaus and the skies were alive with airships. They were the first heralds of spring and the emblem of new beginnings. The boy climbed onto a stool before pointing to a painting hanging above the fireplace. It was one of his mother's, a green field peppered with orchids and cherry trees in full blossom as the sun set over distant mountains. There, I took a walk while I was sleeping, the boy said, proceeding to shovel eggs in his mouth. You went sleepwalking again? The boy's father set his coffee cup down. It's fine, Esmond. His mother reached a pale hand and smoothed the child's hair. But Everly, Esmond's voice dropped, maybe we should consider the man's warning. It will be fine. There was a peculiar firmness in Everly's voice. Leaning forward, she smiled and kissed her son's forehead. Now, Jules, pushing her sketchbook aside, she rested her chin on her hand. Tell me all about your walk. A few weeks later, the strangers in long red coats came to their door. Jules did not understand why his parents were afraid, 
but could feel the tension in their glances and knew something was about to happen. His mother pressed her sketchbook into his arms and hugged him so tight he could not breathe. There were tears in her eyes as she kissed him and gave his father a determined nod. Receiving an equally crushing embrace from his father, Jules found himself being slipped out the back window into the waiting arms of a dark-eyed man. Keep him safe. Those were Esmond's last words before he slammed the window. A falcon cried overhead, casting a shadow on the moonlit cobblestones as the man tucked Jules under his arm and disappeared down the cramped alleyway of the city. He never spoke as he strode with a purposeful step, making so many twists and turns that Jules had no idea where they were. Too afraid to speak, he clung to his mother's drawings and wondered when he'd be able to go home. When at last the man set Jules down, the boy looked up at the sign over a gray stone building. Fleet Street, home for children. He read it aloud, slowly, before daring to glance up at the stranger. Eyes like hardened flint stared down. You'll be safe here. The man dug a folded parchment from his coat pocket and crouched down as he pressed it into Jules' hand. Your name is Isaac Tobin now. His voice was hard. Say it. Ah, Isaac, Isaac Tobin. Tears stung Jules' eyes as he realized he was not going back home. His fingers trembled clamily against the parchment in his hands. Your real name... The stranger's voice softened slightly. Keep it close. He pressed a finger to Jules' chest, and the boy noticed the thick black tattoo lines that snaked up the man's forearm. Never forget it. Hugging his mother's sketchbook, Jules nodded, breathing in the scent of charcoal and graphite. Good. The man rang the bell and retreated to the corner of a building watching until Jules stepped inside the orphanage. Even as the years passed, he told himself this was only temporary. His parents would come for him when it was safe. The alternative was to accept he was the one responsible for whatever unseemly fate they may have suffered. After all, it was his sleepwalking that caused the men to come. Six years passed, and Jules turned twelve. All memory of the tattooed stranger and his ability to go places while asleep had long since been buried. Until the night, the mayor of Stone Cipher was assassinated. It was a spring night, like the one long ago, for all that meant in the desert. The wind howled mournfully hurling copious measures of sand against the city walls. Mostly, citizens were sequestered indoors, hiding from the endless barrage of sand. Others huddled together in dank alleyways and under dilapidated railway bridges, coats pulled over their heads, praying they wouldn't be one of the many who would choke to death from the relentless dust. On the utmost ring of the platform city... Twelve-year-old Isaac struggled to maintain his grip on the iron railing, 
wondering how it was he came to be in his current predicament. The boy's lungs burned as he breathed, his eyes clenched shut against the cutting wind. He felt like his face was being cut to shreds by tiny knives. His fingers, damp with sweat, slipped on the railing and he retightened them. Terror clutched at him like a lead weight. If he fell, he would plummet fifteen stories to an assured death. His panic mind raced as the wind whipped his body like a kite. Though Isaac's eyes remained shut, a picture began to form in his mind. And then he was no longer on the balcony, but in a bedroom. Velvet carpeting was soft on his hands, dark in the light from a firebolt lamp. Isaac struggled to his feet, sucking in a breath when he saw the man coming toward him. He was pale, with a hooked nose and beady eyes, thin lips pursed together in a condescending scowl. He recognized the mayor's face from the broad sheets and video broadcasts in the town square. What in the blazes are you doing in my bedchamber? Feeling like someone else was in control of his body, Isaac backed up, drew out the revolver tucked in his waistband, and squeezing the trigger with alarming precision. A scream drew his attention to a maid standing by the door. She locked eyes with him, before dashing from the room yelling for help. Staring in wide-eyed horror as the mare fell to the floor with a heavy thud, the boy stumbled, tripped over a stool in the room and fell to his back. On the ceiling, a camera lens pointed down, and the reflection of his own face looked back. Jerking his head up with a gasp, Isaac's whole body shook. Cold seeped into him, and there was the peculiar taste of dirt and grit in his mouth. He was leaning against a building where he had fallen asleep hours ago. It was just a dream. Hands pressed on his head, he rocked back and forth, trying to convince himself this was true. Images of a sky-blue flower and his mother's face pushed to the front of his mind, Remembering the incident of his childhood and the loss of his parents made him shake again. It was just a dream. He said it aloud, hoping it would solidify into reality. No one could really go places in their sleep. One hand on the rusted metal of the building he stood. Something fell to the ground with a clank. Thinking his watch had fallen from a hole in his pocket again, he leaned over, feeling along the ground in search of it. His fingers fell across the warm barrel of a pistol. Anxiety seizing his chest, he grabbed, holding it close to his face to see it better in the storm-blackened night. It was the same one from his dream. A siren blared, low at first, then rising above the noise of the wind and holding steady in an ear-splitting decibel. I've... I've killed the mayor. Heart pounding, Isaac could hear security forces running through the streets and sank against the shadows of a building as they dashed past. When they were gone, he clambered off in the opposite direction. Until tonight, he had been nothing more than an orphan no one would give a second look to on the crowded streets, scrawny, covered in coal dust like all the others. But all that was over. 
Now he was being hunted for a murder, one he committed in his sleep. Whistles sounded as he ran down a dead-end street. Footsteps of more than one pursuer neared. Chest heaving, he took a step backward and let out a cry as he fell. The noise of his yell was stifled by a rough hand clasped over his mouth, and he found his arms pinned against his body. Be still, boy, a low voice ordered. Isaac obeyed, listening in a heightened panic as the sound of boots receded back the way they had come. His captor slowly let go. Boots clamored on the rungs of a ladder, followed by the scraping of the manhole cover being slid back into place. A match struck, and the man's face was illuminated by the flame of a gas lamp. Dark hair framed the man's tanned face, his neatly trimmed beard flecked with silver. Lines formed at the edges of familiar dark eyes that looked back at him. Tell me you didn't drop the gun. The falcon on the man's shoulder cocked its head, stretching wings of shimmering blue. Isaac eased back, aware of the weakness in his knees. You did. The man sighed, setting the lamp by his feet. As he reached in his coat posic, Isaac whirled and fled. Above the sound of his own footsteps echoing, the man's voice raised. Jenkins Jules Lee. Hearing his name spoken for the first time in six years brought back the image of his mother smiling while she tucked him in at night, of his father teaching him how to tie his shoes. The memories were happy, but the feeling they awakened was that of deep, aching loss. Thinking of himself as Jules for the first time in many years, the boy turned around. You... He remembered the man's eyes and the shadow of the falcon on that night long ago. Worse than longing was the hope the stranger's appearance evoked. Hope was a dangerous thing to meddle with when the threads of reality promised a very different outcome. And yet, Jules found himself gripped in its hold. He walked back to where the stranger stood. Who are you? The man unbuttoned the top button of his black duster. I'm called many things. You can call me Falcon. Taking off the coat, he draped it over one shoulder and rolled up his sleeves. Black tattooed lines twisted from the tan skin of his wrists up the length of his arms. Jules blurted out the question before he lost his nerve. Are my parents alive? Dripping of water somewhere in the tunnel compounded the silence. I'm sorry. A hard knot formed in Jules' stomach. He kicked a loose rock. It's all my fault. This stupid curse. Every place he visited in his childhood dreams seemed like nails in his parents' coffins. The man called Falcon crossed his muscular arms, frowning down at Jules. Not your fault. It's a rare gift you have. Only you don't know how to use it. You have no idea how hard it is to find sleepwalkers. 
His coat fell to the ground as the bird adjusted itself on his shoulder, and as he stooped to retrieve it, documents fell from the leather satchel slung over his shoulder. On top of the papers was the photograph of an ornately decorated bedchamber. The only thing missing was a corpse on the dampened velvet carpet. All relief faded. Jules recalled the Falcon's comment about the gun. How could he have known about that? He eased away, trying to put as much distance between the man and him as possible. It was you. You did this to me. He pointed an accusatory finger as his heart worked up to keep up with his racing in his mind. You body-snatching murderer! Collecting his papers from the ground, the man gave Jules something of an amused look. A colorful way of putting it. Before the boy had time to react, the man reached out and pushed him to his knees with a firm grasp on his shoulder. The tip of a metal rod pressed against the base of his neck, and a jolt of electricity shot through his body, knocking the breath from his lungs. Letting out a cry of pain, Jules fell forward onto his hands, his whole body shaking as the feeling of a thousand stabbing pins crashed him in waves. What did you do to me? The falcon collapsed the steel rod in his hand and concealed it in his pocket. There was a cordyceps inside your nervous system. A what? Beads of sweat trickled down Jules' neck as he took slow, precise breaths. Vaguely aware of the stranger digging in his satchel, he pulled his gaze from the spinning ground. It's not important. There was a detached look of amusement on the man's face as he offered Jules a canteen. I deactivated it so you can rest easily knowing your body will no longer be. His head tilted to the side, snatched from you again. Jules yanked the canteen from the man's hand and grudgingly took a drink. Wiping water from his mouth, with the back of his hand he gave the falcon a savage glare. You used me. Tell me all about your walk. His mother's words came back, a painful reminder of what he had lost. It was alarming how raw the wound was after all these years. The canteen fell from his hands, its contents spilling out and soaking the leg of his pants. You killed them too, didn't you? A dark look clouded the man's face, and Jules pressed himself further against the hardness of the tunnel wall. Careful, boy. Offense hinged on the Falcon's words. I had nothing to do with the fate of your parents, and my modus operandi usually does not involve tampering with the fate of a sleepwalker. Anger roiled inside him. Jules' voice raised. You took away my parents, my childhood, my name, and then you were going to leave me to take the fall for your assassination, and you don't play with fate? Mm, correct. The falcon's voice was hard. He shook the dust from his coat and slipped his arms back through the sleeves. Now what? Are you going to kill me then? Jules rested his head against drawn-up knees, willing the nausea to pass. Kill you? Jules glanced up to see the man reaching into his pocket. Scrunching against the wall further, he cringed with one eye open. 
The older man's eyes narrowed as he drew out a watch and held it for the boy to see before glancing at it. No. Why not? The falcon's brow furrowed in a studious look. Do you wish me to? No. Jules jumped to his feet. The assassin returned the watch to his pocket. You have two options. Remain here and live out the rest of a very short life in the sewers, or keep up. Keep up? Jules wanted to believe in the possibility his life was not moments from ending, but he was having difficulty accepting it to be true. Yes. The falcon's brow furrowed as he hoisted the lamp in front of his face, giving a slight shrug. Your choice. He was already walking down the tunnel, stooping so his head did not touch the top. His falcon careened its head to look at Jules as he passed. Jules's heartbeat slowed as the distance between them grew and the lamplight faded. He would soon be left in darkness. Glancing up at the entrance to the city, he knew a decision must be made. Where the assassin was going was unclear, and he was likely as trustworthy as a desert cobra. He was the one who got Jules into this mess. But if he stayed here, he knew how it would end. Leaving even with uncertain odds was better than the alternative. He made up his mind. Wait! The word echoed down the tunnel as Jules dashed after the falcon. Where are we going? He asked as he fell in step behind the man. Far from this godforsaken desert wasteland. The man reached into the satchel and produced a familiar leather-brown sketchbook, which he held toward the boy. Your father asked me to keep you safe. I'll give you a fresh start. That's the best I can honor his request, and my favor will be paid. He sounded like his thoughts were miles away as he spoke. My mother's book. Taking it, Jules was too grateful to care how the falcon had come to have it in his possession. The book fell open where a faded blue orchid was pressed between the pages, and its scent mixed with the smell of graphite and paper. A new beginning. What do you wish to be called, boy? Is it Isaac or Jules now? Running his fingers along the flower's crisp edges, the boy allowed a smile to escape his lips as he looked at the six-year-old face preserved forever by his mother's hand. Using his real name did not seem right somehow. Not now. He thought of his years as Isaac Tobin, the lost child who was kept to himself at Fleet Street Children's Home. Jankin, he said, sounding a little sure of himself. Jankin Fleet. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I sincerely hope you enjoyed it. If you want a chance at fame and glory like Anna, make sure to head over to aglintofmischief.com 
and sign up for the mailing list so that you can find out the next time we have a competition. Until next time, see you around.